Welcome back to State House with Frank Santos. Today we have part two with John Caliandro. Hope you enjoy. I'm starting to learn a lot more about the school choice. I mean, of course, we all of us know what that you know generally means, but as we start to get it into the minutia of it, um, that was the first time I had actually heard that particular issue, and I think it's great because to, to talk about it, you know, I've I've got my own issues on the public school system uh, for a whole host of reasons, and. It's almost by, I can't say by design, but if you look across the public school system, they tried the, the you know, the whole Robin Hood bill. That didn't work. Um, you know, the you still have this disparity uh, between schools and what they do. And I'm lucky enough that I live in a school district where the public school is probably is better than the private school. That they actually provide all the resources. There's a lot of disabled uh, children that go to school there from everything, you know, from being on the autistic scale to physical disabilities, and they thrive. But that's because this particular school district area goes out of their way to do that. But that's not true of all the schools. And, and I think you could find some really awful statistics about not just – not just not just special needs kids, but but all the kids, and that's the part of the problem. Why we're even having a school choice debate is that that's disparity. Correct. So <clears throat> let me come at come at that point from two angles. The first is it is undeniably true that most students are not reading at grade level and are not doing math at grade level. This is true today. And it's been true for decades. We have a serious problem in our public education system where we are not getting those kids ready for the next levels of education, including, and most importantly, there's a measure in our accountability system that would uh, require, or let's say it's an objective, to have every student career, college, or military ready. We are falling far short of that. It speaks to something that's fundamentally dysfunctional in this incredibly large public education system. So the facts bear out that there are a lot of kids that aren't being well served in the public system today, and they need an alternative. Conversely, it's really interesting to me to hear the concerns expressed by superintendents and school boards about if we allow this, all these kids are going to flee. That they are going to depart from our public system just because they have the availability of an education savings account. There are two things wrong with that. One, one is a matter of perception and one is a matter of reality. On the perception front, if you accept that argument, you have to step back and say, if you are so concerned about that many students fleeing your school. What does it say about your school? Exactly. What does it say about your management of that school? What does it say about your leadership of that district? It, it ought to require or compel people to engage in some reflection 
and self-examination about what's happening on that, those campuses and in those districts. If the superintendent willingly and repeatedly says, if we do this, everybody's running, everybody's running. The other part of it is, is back to the reality. I mentioned when you asked me the question about special needs, there are three persistent uh, myths or, or misdirections in this debate, one dealing with special needs. And this, uh, the second part we're talking about uh, relates to another one. Do, in fact, people flee the system? You can't find a state where there's currently a universal program where we have an uptake of more than 5%. Okay? Now, in the state of Texas, 5% out of nearly 6 million school kids. All right, those, that's 300,000 students. Uh, but does that point to the collapse of the public system? It doesn't. No. It hasn't happened anywhere. So to repeat it, when, when I hear superintendents say those things like everybody's going to run away, you ought to be concerned about what you're what you're doing in those classrooms. Yeah, why? That would compel why would that. Why that be the case? Yeah. And, and does it indeed happen? Yeah. Hasn't happened anywhere. Well, you know, and, and so the, that goes to another issue that 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 I have, and I, you know, I don't know if I if there's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I've looked at data on this, but if if I if I try to figure out why things are happening the way they're happening at public schools. And I do know other people in other public schools, you know, a bunch of friends and their children and, you know, the complaints that they have. And I wonder if it's because they're spending time doing things that aren't related to reading and writing and math and those kinds of things, teaching, teaching the kids. And, and I did have a little bit of experience. My kids are my, my, my youngest son is two years out of high school. So he's, he was in middle school not that long ago. And I remember then that I was very frustrated. Like he had a great grade school education. Then he got to middle school. And it was the worst. It was a terrible experience. High school was great. And I, and, there, and I could tell you specifically, it was because they were concentrating on things on things that the students were doing that had to do more with how they behaved and how they saw the world and all these kind of things that had nothing to do with teaching them the things they're supposed to be teaching. They spent all their time disciplining kids for not doing things that were unrelated to their academics. Mm -hmm. And, and I, we spent so much time on that. I was constantly down at the middle school arguing with them and they were trying to tell me, you, you really don't know what you're talking about. We see students every day. And it was the first time that I really felt like, you know, that's my kid. You know, what are you telling me that I don't know my own kid? That's, that was a few years ago, okay? Now, you know, we're starting to see a lot of this anti-parent, uh, you know, effort going on with a lot of organizations. And, and it really bothers me a lot. And uh, we're going to be doing some more programs specifically on those areas. Um, but I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why you don't, you're having this, this uh, lackluster approach to education in public schools. I'll say there are definitely three, perhaps four uh, major contributing factors as to why public education uh, does not work well for most students as evidenced by test scores, whether they're, 
national norm reference t- uh, tests or the, the state-based criterion uh, tests. The first is uh, teacher preparation. Our colleges of education could be vastly improved and do a much better job, uh, including uh, and relatedly the teacher certification programs. I think we just have a lot of people going into the profession who aren't well prepared to teach. And as a consequence, it takes many, many years for them to get a level of mastery in the classroom that would allow them to lend value to the student. Uh, Teacher prep has been a major issue. We had a debate involving the State Board of Educators certification and the State Board of Education uh, around improving that. Uh, It sort of ended in a stalemate for a variety of reasons, too much to get into at the moment. But teacher prep is a big issue. The second thing is the quality of the instructional material. Uh, Thankfully, led by— For teachers? For the students. For the students. For the students. I apologize. Uh, The instructional material is for the student. What the Texas Education Agency, they said about uh, basically surveying curriculum and the instructional materials used that are supposed to be aligned with the curriculum. And what they found was that much of what was being used in the classroom was either not really aligned with state standards or below grade level, meaning deficient to the point where if the, the teacher followed those instructional materials through the course of a school year, the student wouldn't actually, by the end of that school year, regardless of the subject, be uh, have completed it and been at grade level. Uh, so this past, so the education agency did that survey. They said about doing a project to create a, a pathway to uh, for high quality instructional materials. That bill passed this session. It'll take a while for implementation. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But I think it's an, another piece of this puzzle as to why we're not performing well in Texas. The third thing is that the public education system, much like any other governmental system, tends to be insular. And they tend to be, uh, want to be immune from criticism. And one way they go about that is to keep people out. So when you're describing the experience that you have with your, with your son, uh, it's not unique. Sadly, it's not unique. I wish I could sit here and say much to your detriment, that you were the only person who endured that. Yeah. But it's not true. It's clearly it, not true. It goes yeah. on every day within the public education system. We see it all the time play out in school board meetings where frustrated parents go and want to express their view, air their concerns, and they're told to be silent. They're ushered out of the meetings. Teachers keeping uh, material, instructional materials, books uh, from being viewed by parents is a pervasive problem. But for COVID, we wouldn't be having quite the public debate that we've had. But what, what the lesson that we ought to take away from COVID was that this stuff would have been going on for a really, really long time. And but for the, the COVID break and people being doing remote learning. Watch what was really going on. Yeah. Uh, it's shocking. So the fourth piece of it, though. Uh, and it's as important as the these three that I've already touched on, is what COVID also revealed was a lack of 
parental engagement. And I don't even just mean in terms of standing up for the rights. So that's true. We have a big parental rights movement today. But we ought to also be having a parental responsibility movement. Because prior to COVID, when your child came home from school, and I'm not talking about your child, Frank, but when any child comes home from school, if you don't sit there and engage and engage, can I see your textbook? Can I see what you're being asked to do? Can I review your test? I don't want to just see your grade. Can I review your test? What types of papers are you being asked to write? What are you doing in science class? Unless you have that level of engagement, you're taking that responsibility on, you're going to miss all that. And by the way, what COVID proved to us is most parents were not living up to their responsibility to know what was going on in the classroom. I think that's 100% correct. I, I, I can say there was a time when um, I, I fell into that category of, you know, you send your kid off to school and then they come home and then, you know, make sure you do your homework and, you, you, you know, that's your engagement and, you know, you help them with homework and that sort of thing. But you sort of trusted that what was happening there was what was, should be happening. I mean, at least I did. And it was over time when I got more involved in their day-to-day that I started to have issues with what was going on. And um, I just remember, you know, little things that started to just pop up. I remember in, in, uh, again, the same middle school, um, I won't mention the name, you know, they wouldn't take uh, the the entire uh, school to, say, go outside and do something, let's say, patriotic, okay, but when it came to other issues, which related to probably the smallest group of people in that school, they dismissed everyone from class and made them attend these programs. And I just remember when my son coming home and saying, you know, they made us go outside. We had to do this. And they had this rally about this, this issue. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, right. that doesn't have anything to do with what you're learning. And so it was little things like that that started to creep up. And um, and then I got very, very involved and to the point where, you know, they didn't want to hear that I was coming back to the school again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so luckily I wasn't uh, one of the people they dragged out by the police. But there, if there's one thing that will make a parent go completely nuts, that's if you mess with their children. I mean, that's universal, right? Sure. And so... I totally sympathize with those those moms and dads that are at these at these school forums at these at the at the you know talking to uh, you know talking to the school about something and they get cut off or whatever and then they send the police in. I mean, yeah, uh, it's going to go bad because you're you're now getting in between you know the parent and their kid. Um, yeah, that that's a that issue. I mean, we're just on the we're just touching on it. I don't think yeah. I think we we haven't even really gotten in exploring it because there's so much more that goes on that it's just the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, no question. But I would say this, um, you know, going back, you know, started asking about politics. The politics around school choice are really interesting in, in, in this respect and where it would play out in primaries, both uh, Democrat and Republican primaries, I believe, definitely Republican primaries. School choice for many, many years 
Texas nationally has been popular. The distinction in Texas is that it hadn't been a priority for voters. That's worthy of a whole nother conversation, why that might be. But we're finally at a point where politically it's now a priority. So case in point, in uh, the, both parties will uh, put ballot propositions on the primary ballot. So they'll just ask issue-based questions, you know, for border security, against border security. I'm being a tad silly, but yeah. Uh, but for multiple primaries on the Republican side, they, one of the consistent questions on the ballot has been about school choice. And the parties used varying uh, language uh, to express, you know, or to ask if you're for school choice. So it right, went the gamut from, there was one year, I forget which year, but one year, they used the voucher word. Yeah. Another, another uh, primary election, they talked about tuition tax credit scholarships. Uh, they you sort of just uh, painted it as, used the words just around school choice, not specific to any type of program. In 2022, the question was asked, do you believe that money should follow the child to public, private, charter, homeschool setting. And on the Republican side, the statewide numbers were 88% in favor of that. Sure. And one of the more interesting things was, you know, part of one of the myths out there, the political myths, is that people in urban areas, people in suburban areas, they may want it, but rural areas, it's not for us. Some of the highest percentages on that Republican uh, ballot proposition were in our most rural areas. Oh, yeah. Where there may not even be a choice for a student to go to a private school, as an example. It's extraordinary the level of support for all this. There's a state representative I had a conversation with a week ago, and in his district, it was an incredibly rural district. The numbers were like 80%. And he, you know, as he was expressing, I'm not sure I have political support for this back home. Well, that might be, I can't, and I was respectful. I said, I can't speak for your district. You know your district better than me. But all I can tell you is, here's what's posted on the Secretary of State's website, and here are the numbers county by county in your district. That's all. And it's high. (laughs) It is really high. So I think, you know, that's one of the, uh, on the political side, what would be interesting is a couple of scenarios here. We have a special session on school choice. It fails to pass. Why did it fail to pass? And who's responsible for it, right? How does that play out politically? And frankly, I think that's a very potent issue that people need to think and think really hard about when they're casting that vote, when a bill's on the floor. If it does pass, you're still going to have some people vote no. Oh, yeah. And I'm really talking more about Republicans at this point. That's going to be a serious situation for uh, for a lot of those members who vote no because the intensity on this issue is so high. The broader parental rights movement is so passionate right yeah, now. Yeah. Man, that's just one of those issues where it may now play out in a way like in past uh, primaries, things like border security played out. Yeah. It's I, that intense. I think it is that intense. And I think 
I think you hit the nail right on the head, and that is that the the parental rights issue it it makes it even more intense than it ever would have been. And I think um, you know one of the things that we're going to be doing is is we're going to be having a lot of uh, discussions about all of those things that relate to children. And, you know, everything to do with, you know, trafficking and school choice and, you know, the whole gender issue that has bled into the schools, which is, you know, um, I think, again, a distraction to what the schools should be doing, uh, my personal opinion. Um, And because we've, we've experienced it. So I can say for a fact that it was a distraction to one of my one of my son's. Um, it wasn't that he took a position on any, anything. It was just that it was, you know, it was one of those things that over the year they, they spent a lot of time on it when they're like, why are we doing this? I, I need to be in class, you know? So it's uh, not, it's not a graduation requirement. That's not why, a graduation. why are we talking about it? <laughs> that's, right. that's right. And they, and they don't really, uh, they didn't ask about any of it when he was doing his college application. So you know, and it's different when you get to college, a totally different thing. But in public school where you're trying to learn how to learn and uh, and get ready for college, you don't need extract uh, uh, distractions uh, of any kind. And isn't it hard enough to be a teenager? Oh, my God. I, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, after, as you know, my, when my wife passed away in 2015, I, be, I had to become sort of mom and dad. And that was really the turning point for me when I had to, one was 11, one was 17. So it was high schooler and, you know, middle schooler. And I had to get more involved than I'd ever been. You know, Mm -hmm. we have businesses, we have our own business and we were constantly at the Capitol and all that. And you sort of concentrate on that. All of a sudden you're, you have to turn to really what's more important, your, your, your kid's welfare. And um, so I, be, I become a very, uh, uh, I don't even know what the term would be, sort of a militant parent. <laughs> <laughs> because all of a sudden, you know, I know everything going on sure. and I am just, I'm mad about a lot of stuff. And so I was constantly having mm-hmm. to do these corrections and fix these things. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I having to go and tell these schools how to teach my kids. It's not supposed to, that, that that's right. their job. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we're paying them to do that. So, so I have my own personal yeah. feelings about <laughs> right. that. And, uh, and I'm uh, very much in, in support of, of giving, you know, uh, parents an alternative. I sure. mean, that's all it is. It's just giving them alternative. You know, uh, alternative is a great word. You'll remember when you got to the point, might've been middle school, could have been early high school, but everybody goes through it when you start thinking about college, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And when you're thinking about college, it could be as silly as things like, boy, I like the football team. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. If, that, sure. if that's your priority, yeah. whatever. Uh, it could be, boy, my parents went to UT or my, or I had an uncle went to A&M or, boy, I want an out-of-state experience or... I need to be to a small school. Yeah. Whatever it may be. What you're what you're going through there is you're starting to sort through your preferences. So we don't think anything about when you make a decision to go to college, 
Well, you know, I had to take into account all these factors when making a decision. Yeah. But you know what? Those factors or those considerations are evident at a really young age. Why am I passionate about school choice? Well, for all the reasons that we've already talked about, but I think my foundational principle is this. A lot of schools are just not the right place for a certain student. We have these massive public high schools in Texas, yeah. 10, 12,000 kids. For some, maybe it's a small number. Maybe it's a dozen. Maybe it's 100. That's just probably not the right place. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, 50,000 students at the time. My wife went to Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi, and there was about 1,000 students. And she always said if I had gone to Ole Miss or LSU, I would have drowned. Exactly. It was not for her. And the same could be true when you're 17 and 15 and 12 and 10. And that's why I think in the end – you parents need to have the ability to seek these alternatives based on objective data, like what are our test scores? What's the instructional material look yeah. like? What's the classroom environment? But ultimately, is it the right place for my kid? It may be an exceptional school. They're all A's. We have our accountability system that consistently rate an A. It still may not be the best place for your child. Oh, that's right, because it, it, you know kids learn differently, and you know when your when your school choice is based on your address, it's little it, you know there really isn't a school choice, right? You you go to the place where you you live. That's what you have to do. I mean, you you can't go across town and and decide. Well, I want to you know I want to go to <clears throat> Westlake High School, and I live you know I live in some other part of Austin, and. I I know the, the you know the, they always get the awards and you know their choir is always number one and all that's what I want to you know so you can't do it right now I mean you couldn't you can't do that but you could um, if you if you did have a choice you could move them to a school which would better serve their 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 kids and I I just went through this with my youngest because when he was so I had I've I've got two my oldest um, big schools. You know everything. You know it was fine. He went to UT. He he. You know he he did great at, at Westlake. It was it was his jam, right? And then my my younger son. You know the big school and all the kids and all that social interaction. It just wasn't his thing. And so when he was thinking about college, he's he really did not want to be at UT as much as everybody in my family has gone there. And um, he ended up choosing, which was very unusual, really, for, you know, the baby of the family. He chose he chose uh, DU in Denver because it's a small school and it was it was it was just it, it's private, of course, you know, mm-hmm. so the sacrifice goes along with that. You got to pay for private education versus, you know, public education here in town. And he's um, thriving. Like he never did before, and That's so uh, you know it, it. And it was his decision. That was the the right. best thing about it. Is was he decided he was going to go all the way to Colorado, and um, and he and he's thriving at that school. That's the heart of it. It's yeah, right there, hundred percent. I mean, I so I you know I think 
there that's why I think the numbers are so high because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not the only one with that experience. Every parent is having that experience. Correct. And yeah, I think that I think that the the rural areas are are very high because you see some of the some of and I'm. My my late wife went to. She had been in school in Fort Worth, and loved it. She was in actually in private school in Fort Worth, and then they moved out way north, almost all the way to the Oklahoma border, to a little bitty town because her dad um, had uh, was a rancher, and he, his ranch was the ranch was there, and they started going to this teeny tiny little school right by the <laughs> ranch property, and I mean the. the our entire life together, she talked about how terrible it was. <laughs> and, she, and, and so she, uh, I remember um, uh, that when we were, when we were talking about where we're going to live and all that kind of stuff. And I had this sort of romantic view of living in a small town and all that. She said, we'll never <laughs> ever live in a small town again. <laughs> Based on my experience, yeah, right. you could just forget about it. So anyway, Hey man, this is, this has been great. And I really appreciate your time, and I hope you'll come back again. There's so many issues that are coming up, and and you know I'd love to have you on a, um, you know, semi regular basis just to mm-hmm. just to check check in. You have such a you know your your finger on the pulse of what's going on politically, and I always learn when I learn things when I talk to you. So uh, appreciate all your your time today, and uh, I hope to see you back again. You soon. bet, anytime. Love to do it. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Statehouse. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast today. If you like our program and you want to see more, please subscribe. Like it, share it with others. If you've got a comment, leave us a comment. Anything that makes us better, we appreciate. And we really appreciate, if you like it, to give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.